Well, good morning. Welcome to Heritage. Nice to have you here on this crisp morning, right? There's more than one way to say it's freezing cold out. <laughs> Whoo-wee. Um, yeah, anyway, it's great to have you here. Um, have you ever thought, I, I, I should have done this last week, but you have, have you ever thought about all of the love songs? Maybe they wouldn't be necessarily love songs, but songs with the word love in them. I mean, the list is never ending. I googled it. Yeah, you, of course. I mean, what else would you do? I mean, if I, if I sat there and tried to think of all those songs, or just some songs, certainly wouldn't think of all of them, but if I th- could think of some of them, wow, I, I know I wouldn't go too far, but I, I started thinking now, I, th- some secular songs, and, and we're talking my generation, so, you know, some of you are oldies people, even this generation, but those are the songs that always come to mind, and I thought, okay, all you need is love. Um, Elvis sang, I can't help falling in love with you, right? Um, love will keep us together. Uh, I have on my phone um, a ring uh, tone that when Jane calls me, it's Stevie Wonders, I just called to say I love you. <laughs> See, that's the way I know it's her. Uh, who else would be calling me to say they loved me? Except her, right? And so there's that one. Uh, Your love keeps lifting me higher. And I thought, okay, I just can't do all these secular songs. There's a lot of great Christian songs. And, and of course, we got generations here, so I had to try a mix. Some of you are going to not have any idea of these. Others will, and, and it'll be vice. But we all know Jesus loves me, right? Well, there's actually newer songs that are sung, Jesus Love Me, all kinds of different versions with that name, different songs. I Love You, Lord, How He Loves, a David Cratter song. Uh, I Stand Amazed in the Presence, and you say, well, the love's not in there. Well, when you get to the chorus, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Uh, And can it be that I should get right? amazing love how can it be there it is later on the love of God your love awakens me and and we could go on for an hour but I'm not going to do that but all these songs of love so please open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and uh, we're going to finish out uh, our text this morning Chapter 16, and uh, at least the, the verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, <clears throat> verse 15, I'm going to read verses 15 to 24. If you don't have a copy of the Bible and you want to have it in your hands other than your phone or tablet, there should be one under the chair in front of you, close at hand, in that Bible, page 802, uh, and it's there. So follow with me. Please, as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting at verse 15. You know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanos 
Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let the person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now there you have Paul's final words, final greetings to the church in Corinth. And uh, we talked last week, uh, verses 5 through 14, and, and, I, and I just want to move back into verses 13 and 14, but, but there you have it. Um, Paul says, end of verse 14, do everything in love. He said in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he closes again, my love to all of you. Do everything in love. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week, but how would you, I mean, that's what Paul says, but what does that mean? It's one thing to hear that and say, okay, I need to do that, but, but, but there are some specific things, and I could go throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament, come up with all kinds of things that would be an example or an illustration of doing things in love, and yet I think there are some examples of that right here in the text, verses 15 to the end of the chapter, and so we're going to look at those this morning, do everything in love. Now, I want to quickly review verses 13 and 14. Paul gives five commands, five imperatives, essential, and for an urgent call to action. And so he's saying, first of all there, verses 13 and 14, you must be on your guard. That's what he says, be on your guard. Stay watchful, keep alert. Your enemy, the devil, we talked about, like a roaring lion is out to get us. We better pay attention. We better be alert. We better have our eyes open. And on top of that, Jesus is coming back, huh? Does anybody care about that? That was kind of a little... Wow, Jesus is coming again. And uh, second, he goes on, he says, stand firm in the faith. The idea here is what we believe, firmly committed to what you believe, especially, especially the gospel. That's where it begins because that's the foundation for all that we have and all that we believe, we must not back down. We, that means if we're going to be firmly committed to the faith, to what we believe, to, to, to the word of God, that's what we're talking about, the faith. Not just having faith, but this is the things we believe, the, the, the big picture of what we believe beginning with the gospel. And if we're going to be firmly committed to what we believe, we've got to know what we believe. Do we? It amazes me. There are groups of people that are knocking on your doors on regular, uh, from other churches. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. And, and, and many times, God's people are afraid to have conversations. 
because they know their stuff. And sometimes we're like, I'm not sure I do well enough to have that kind of conversation. Paul is saying, stand firm in the faith. You better know what you believe and know that what you believe is found in the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, as we call them. Um, Paul said back in chapter 1 and verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If you don't know Jesus today, if you are without faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, that he died in your place for your sins, he was buried and rose again, and if you don't know Jesus, that message is foolishness. You're like, are you kidding me? That's all I need to go to heaven? That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. That's foolishness. That's a bunch of baloney. I don't believe that. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the power of God. We talked about the threefold work of sanctification, that it's a positional thing that the moment we trust Jesus Christ our position is changed from an enemy of God to a child of God our position before God we're saved we're forgiven we're redeemed we're given eternal life we're on our way to heaven but once we're saved there's still the growing process the being saved the continuing to become more like Jesus till one day that's the practical sanctification till one day there's perfection when we become like Jesus because we see him as he is. And, and that's what Paul is saying. To you who are being saved, it's the power of God. The message of the cross, the gospel, what we believe, hold firmly to. He goes on, chapter 15, just back a chapter. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It's not Easter yet, but folks, here we go. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you look, hold firmly. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. And then he goes on in verses 3 and 4 and gives the gospel. What I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now that's the gospel. And those are the things that we must hold firmly. Paul said it in verse 2 of chapter 15. He says it in our text here this, after, this morning. Stand firm in the faith. But look at verse 12 of chapter 15 where he says, But if it is preached, he's talking to those who are struggling to believe in the resurrection of the body. Those of us who know Jesus Christ 
as Savior. When we die and are buried, when Jesus comes again, we will rise again. We will come out of that grave. And for those who are still alive, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but those who are still alive will be caught up into the clouds. But the idea of our bodies, because Jesus rose from the dead, we, our bodies will rise again. Some of the people in the church in Corinth were struggling to believe that. And in verse 12, he says, if it is preached, and it was, that Christ has been raised from the dead, he did, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? That our bodies aren't coming back to life. How can some of you say that? If it is preached, how can you say that? What's Paul's point? He's saying if that's the gospel truth, For you and I today, if that's the truth of the word of God, how can some of you say, I'm not sure that's really what it means anymore. Times have changed. Culture's moving along. This is 2022, not 1922. And and some things are different. No, no, no. Scripture hasn't changed. And the authority of Scripture, folks, is critical. And when we talk about some of these issues in the next few weeks... As I shared with you last week, we're going to deal with some what I'm calling appendices. Some areas that we're going to cover again, maybe a little more clearly, more focused and more depth. But I'll tell you what, one of those things that is critical for us to understand when we talk about these issues is the authority of Scripture. Because if you don't have the authority of Scripture as the foundation for your conviction for what you believe, for the answers to every issue we face in this life, you're left to nothing but your own opinion or the cultural opinions or the political opinions, and none of that can stand up to the truth of the Word of God. See, and we have all kinds of problems because we get to know people who are involved in a lot of these things, and and that changes our perspective. Well, I, I know somebody who, well, and, and I'm not sure. And uh, No, we are sure. Why? Because of the authority of the Word of God. So, the second thing, stand firm in the faith. Back to verse 13, Paul says, be courageous. Put away your immature, childish behavior. The church at Corinth was very immature, spiritually speaking. They were acting like spiritual children. That's the word, be courageous, put it away, grow up spiritually. And with that courage involved, and and don't be afraid. There can't be fear as you grow up, as you mature, as you hold to the authority of Scripture. Quit your disagreements and divisions. The first four chapters, Paul talks about that. The first chapter, he says, you're divided, you're fighting, you're disagreeing with one another. Put that away. That's childish and immature behavior. Be courageous. Be strong, he says then. Be strengthened by God. That's, you don't just say, okay, I, I'll do this myself. No. The idea of be strong, be becoming strong. Be strengthened by God. He's the one who does it. It's not us ourselves. It's not like going down to Brown's gym and just pumping iron for a few hours and doing that for weeks and weeks and think you'll, you'll get strong. But this not, that's not the same thing. It's let God strengthen you. How does that happen? Because we renew our mind again with the authority 
of the Word of God. That's what builds us up. That's what makes us strong. Folks, if you know Jesus, you got to be in the Word regularly. Because if you're not, you're going to be weak. And you won't know how to deal with the cultural issues that we're facing today. And then lastly, do everything in love. We're talking about sacrificial love, not my rights. It's not, it's not about being self-centered. It's not what I want. It's not like those in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. No, it's not about I, 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 I. Do everything in love means we, we, we exhibit that kind of love that God did for us, that sacrificial love. It's not focused on short-term gratification. We use that for love today, but that's not love. It's about others. Love is always about others. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes will not perish but will have everlasting life. God loved us. It's about others. So we believe and are forgiven. Now, how do we do that? Do everything in love. How does that happen? Our text has some answers, some illustrations, some examples. Look at verse 15. You know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. Back to chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about he baptized Stephanos. And, and what he's saying is, you know the household here of Stephanos, some of the first converts in Achaia. Now, there were, there were people that came to Christ over in Athens, which would be in this area. But probably when Paul's saying, okay, he's talking about Corinth, because we know that that was true. And so whatever that may be, he was there. They have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. That's what we need to zero in on. They have devoted themselves to the service. That word devote means to arrange, to put in order, to get in line, to set themselves to the ministry of the saints. You know what's cool? If you have an, a King James copy version of the Bible with you, in your Bible, the word will say addicted. That's a great word. Addicted to serving God's people. Now, folks, think about that. We had our first class. I don't know if I... Classes on addiction. Dave, is that the right way to say it? Yeah, all right. This last Thursday. And by the way, if you missed that, I don't know, is it too late to still jump in? Th this week. All right. Every Thursday at 2 and 6.30. You're welcome to come, folks. But the idea of addiction, and, and, and I had never thought about this before, never realized it, never seen it like that. I love it, though, because I was listening to a message by John MacArthur actually reading it, and as he talked about this, and I'd seen that word, but I, I'm like, what? 
And, and, and as I read it through and thought about it, and he talked about there are three words even in legal issues, legal definitions that are used in addiction. And the first word is habit. Addiction refers to the chronic or habitual use, the overpowering desire or compulsion for something, whether that's drugs or alcohol or pizza, right, or money or gambling, or sex, you name it. We can be addicted to all kinds of things. Paul is talking addiction is a habit. Secondly, tolerance is the second word. That occurs when it takes more and more of the substance to get the same amount of pleasure. In other words, if, if, if a person becomes an alcoholic at first to first drink, man, it, it'll, it'll knock them off their feet maybe. I remember when I was in college, I worked in a men's clothing store. I was a senior in college. And uh, this uh, nice men's clothing store, we had our grand opening. And we had a punch bowl, and it was there all day, and we're serving, and, and it's there. And, and towards the end of the day, a couple of the guys spiked it. You understand what I mean? Yes. And I don't know exactly what, I think it was vodka. They put in the punch. And then they all stood around waiting for me to have a cup of punch. I, I went over and, and it was later in the day. It was thirsty and had a cup. I'm telling you, I didn't know what hit me. I mean, I didn't fall over, but I drank that. And, and my legs literally, and of course the guys, they just broke up laughing. You know what, if I had kept drinking, that's because that was the first drink I'd ever had. Well, if I had some more, right, it, it wouldn't have affected me. I, it would have taken more to affect me. And if I kept drinking more, then it would have taken more to affect me. And more, why? Because your body gets tolerant and it takes more to get the same high. That's really what addiction is with anything. You get some and, and, and you keep getting, you want more, you want more. That's tolerance. Your body develops a tolerance and it needs more to get the same amount of pleasure. The third word, dependence. Physical and psychological dependence. You get to the point that um, you have a feeling that, that needs to, to be maintained. You, you, you have a feeling that you've got to feed in order to maintain that sense of well-being that you think comes from whatever substance you're taking. And, and in order to feel well with that, you, you've got to take that. It makes you feel that way. And, and ultimately, it will lead to withdrawal if you stop. So the dependence on that, you need that because if you stop, there are physical and psychological at least issues. Of course, there are spiritual issues too. So what's all this saying about addicted to serving God, addicting to serving God's people? Well, that was Stephanus and his family. Serving was a habit. They made it a habit. They were addicted to serving. And as a result, the more they served, the more they wanted to serve. Woohoo! Huh? That's what happens when you get a taste of service and God uses you and you get excited and all of a sudden you see God using you in somebody's life and it's like, man, I got to have more of this. 
to the point that your sense of spiritual well-being is out of whack if you're not serving God. If you are a believer and you are not serving God and you're okay with it, something is wrong. Did you hear me? Read your Bible. The authority of Scripture would say, if you are a believer and you are not regularly serving God, you're not regularly involved in ministering to people, believers and unbelievers, and it doesn't bother you, something is wrong in your life. Because that's not how God made us as believers. And the idea is we love to serve when we know Jesus Christ. That's what happened to Stephanus. Addicted to serving. I, I love that. Think about that context. Wow, that is an amazing thing. Dave, you can quote me if you'd like. Put it in your class. All right. Secondly, submitting to servants. Look at verse 16. Well, the end of verse 15 to verse 16, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors. Now, that's a strong word. It's not your normal ministry serving word. Who labors at it. Listen, serving people are godly people. Those who have the habit of serving. Those who... who have a tolerance that they got to have more once they've started. Those who are dependent and understand that I need to be serving God because it's what he's gifted me to do. You know, that's the cool thing too in this. We're addicted to it, but the power doesn't, the power comes from God. He's given us, he's given us the God-given special ability for service that we call spiritual gifts. That's why Paul talked about that here in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13 and 14. He's talking about it here because we need to be addicted to service. God says, get busy. And I've given the ability to do what I've called you to do. But he says, submit to those people. To submit to such people. Serving people are godly people. They are people that we want to imitate. Paul says, submit to them. Now, submit is not a, is not a positive word in our culture today. In many situations, it's not even a positive word in the church. We, we have this wrong understanding of what it means. The word submission typically means to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another. To voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another. Stephanos was one of the leaders of the Corinthian church. We don't know exactly what role that he and his family played, but he was one of the leaders of the Corinthian church. And Paul urged the church to put themselves under his authority and others like him who labor and serve to the point of weariness and fatigue. Just like we believe that his two friends that we'll look at in the next couple of verses, Fortunatus and Achaicus, were... We're, or we're also in a, some kind of a leadership position and who serve to the point of exhaustion, of weariness, of fatigue. That's the word labor. It's a step above just normal ministry and service. That's why we believe they were probably leaders of some sort in the church. Let me just read a, a British commentator by the name of William Barclay says this. In the early church, 
willing and spontaneous service was the beginning of official office. A man became a leader of the church not so much by any man-made appointment as because his life and work marked him out as one whom all men must respect. All those who share the work and toil of the gospel command respect not because they've been appointed, appointed by man to an office, but because they are doing the work of God. Serving people are godly people, and Paul says, of st- submit to them. See, submission is a critical part of our lives as believers all throughout the New Testament. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands, Ephesians 5.22. And so Paul, put yourself under their authority. Guess what? That's a positive thing, ladies. That's an amazing thing. When your husband loves you like Christ loved the church, No woman in the right mind wouldn't want to put themselves under the authority of that kind of a man. That's the Bible. That's the authority of Scripture. Um, How about this? We are to submit to every human authority. 1 Peter 2, verse 13, the governing powers, the kings and governors, that's what we're told in Scripture. Children are to submit to their parents. 1 Timothy tells us that. Ephesians 5 and, or 6 also, we are to submit to leaders in the church, those who have been given authority over us, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 13. It's part of, but it's putting yourself willingly under the authority that God has given those individuals in your life. Now, I came across an, another thought as I studied and, and, and I thought, wow, this is good. The church is not about trying to get up about trying to get over people we live in a in a culture where you you all know if i said climbing the corporate ladder what that means you want to rise up in your business you you don't want to just be the the common laborer for the rest of your life our culture says you got to move up because there's all kinds of good stuff that happens when you do so you don't want to just stay at the bottom you got to climb that ladder you need to be in charge you need to have a say That's not what the church is about. It's about trying to get under, not get over people. Submission means that we want to get under the right people. We want to put ourselves under those who will help us grow, who are imitating Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. He says, you follow me as I follow Jesus. You imitate me, why? Because I'm going to imitate Jesus. And so if you follow me, you'll be imitating Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. We need to put ourselves under those who are serving, those who are addicted to serve. I I love that. You see, there's there's an accountability in every form of, of, of submission. A husband is accountable to God. Wives, when the Bible says you are to put yourself under their authority, his accountability is God. When, when Paul says that children are to obey their parents, those parents are under the authority of God. 
And there's no child in the the world that wouldn't want to be living under two parents, a mom and a dad, who were seeking to obey God and follow him in everything they did. Talks about employees being submissive to employers. And of course it talks about those that are leaders in the church who have authority over us to be submissive to them. And yet, here's the accountability. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Watch their example. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, verse 7, says, imitate their faith. That means there must be something worth following. Put yourself under and learn and grow and follow That's what Paul is talking about. Third one, we love by refreshing one another. Serving one another, submitting to servants who are godly people, refreshing one another. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 17 and 18, I was glad when Stephanos, Fortunatus, And Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. You see, they traveled. Paul was in Ephesus. These three men traveled. Leaders of the church traveled to see Paul. They brought a letter to him. And as they came, Paul was refreshed. Look, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. That word refresh simply means to give rest from labor. You see, Paul was working hard at it. He was building a church. He was in Ephesus. He'd already, we saw last week, how a great door of opportunity had been opened, but there was a lot of opposition. Paul needed to be refreshed and encouraged, and that's what these three men did for him. They supplied what was lacking from you. Paul would love to have had some, uh, to be back in Corinth with those believers, but he couldn't be. So these three men brought Corinth to him. Paul could, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, man, they're, they're doing this. Hey, did you know they just had a baby? Yeah, a little baby boy. And, and how's with this person? Oh, he got saved. And man, he's on fire for God. And, and I tell you what, they were, they were encouraging Paul. They refreshed. They gave him a break from his labor. They brought relief. And when the church would hear about it later, they were also refreshed because they knew Paul had been refreshed doesn't that happen when you know somebody you know and love is encouraged is refreshed doesn't that doesn't that do something for your own heart that's what paul's talking about you could look at second timothy chapter one write this down i'm not going to go there second timothy chapter one verses 16 to 18 a man by the name of onesiphorus who paul said often refreshed me and there's a great story there in that go look at that fourthly welcoming one another verses 19 and 20 the churches in the province of asia send you greetings paul says verse 19 he's winding down the final greetings the churches in the province of asia send you greetings aquila and priscilla greet you warmly in the lord and so does the church that meets their house aquila and priscilla had helped paul when he started the church in corinth 
They were there. They were tent makers and they took Paul in and they worked together. And then when Paul went to Ephesus, Priscilla and Quilla went over to Ephesus and they're serving God all over again. They're planning a church in Ephesus. They're helping Paul. And Paul says, hey, they send their greetings. And the people in Corinth had to be, oh yeah, I remember them. Oh man, that's so cool. And then he says, look at this. And so does the church that meets in their house. You see, they've stayed at it. Verse 20, all the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with the holy kiss. Paul is just pouring out greeting, this welcoming spirit to them. That's what, that's what the, 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 the environment, that's what the culture of every God ordained local church ought to be it ought to be a welcoming place it ought to be a place like no other place on the face of this earth where you are welcomed where you are greeted where you are made to feel at home you're greeted with happiness and kindness you're drawn in that's the whole concept here that's why we have greeters at the front door on Sunday mornings because we want people who walk through that door to know, hey, we're glad you've come. This is a place where you'll find a home if you so choose. A welcoming church, welcoming one another is the way, is the way that we also are able to do everything in love. And then we demonstrate our love for one another when we love the Lord. Look at verses 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22, Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Now, what in the world is that? What do you mean? Who wrote the first 16 chapters up to verse 20? Who did? I thought Paul wrote that. You've been telling us all along. What do you mean? Now, Paul says, I wrote this greeting with my own hand. Well, probably what we know is that Paul had a secretary, and, and, and the word is amanuensis. And, and it's somebody that does the shorthand for him, writes it down. And now they get to that. Paul says, hey, he's done, and I'm just, I'm writing in my own hand. Paul talks about that in a lot of his letters. In fact, in Galatians, he says, see how big, a, a big words, big letters that I write. Probably because many think that Paul had an eye problem. So he wrote with big letters so he could see. Whatever it was, that's what he's saying. And he writes these letters and he says this, if anyone does not love the Lord. You see, the fourth, we demonstrate our love for one another by loving God. I don't think there's anything more loving that you can do for a fellow member of Herod's Baptist Church than love God. I don't think there's anything more you can do for your wife husbands than love God. I don't think there's anything more wise that you can do for your husband than love God. Parents, I don't think there's anything more important than you can do for your kids than love God. Best thing, employees, that you can do for your boss is to love God. Paul says... If anyone does not love the Lord. Let that person be cursed. You're like, what? <laughs> what? Paul, are you kidding? 
Well, I believe, as Paul talks this way, he's talking about those in the church at Corinth who claim to be followers of Christ, but demonstrate by their attitudes, their beliefs, their words, their actions, that they are, without any question at all, unbelievers. They are not followers of Jesus. They claim to be, but the way they live their lives. You see, these people, Paul was saying, and you can see it over and over, that's why he said throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians, make sure, make sure you know if you're being saved, if you hold on to the truth. If you don't, you'll lose it. Why? The, because there were those in the church who said they were believers who were not. And Paul doesn't have the time of day for liars. You get a sense of Paul's holy outrage. We've heard anger called what? Righteous indignation. Be angry and sin not. This is Paul being angry and sinning not. He's angry at those who claim to be a believer and because of the way they live, it is obvious that they are not following Jesus. And Paul's holy outrage at those who are promoting division and disunity in the church, who are saying there is no resurrection of the dead, who were, who were destroying the Lord's Supper when they got together. Paul says it would be better that you don't meet because your meeting together does more harm than good. Paul's tired of them. And he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Because why people are masquerading as followers of Jesus, they are under the coming judgment of God. That's what Paul is saying. Let them be cursed. He's talking. Not that Paul is going to take God's vengeance into his hand, but these people, as unbelievers, will one day face the coming judgment of God. As false followers who do not believe, they will be cursed. Paul doesn't pull any punches, folks. You feel his passion and zeal for the mission of the church as he warns them. If you don't love God, you're under the curse. You're under the wrath of God. And then he says, come, Lord. Come, Lord. It's, you, can just, you can just feel it. He's just feeling that. I think Paul is brokenhearted at, at those who claim to know Jesus, but he knows who don't. And Paul says, oh God, come. Please, come soon. Man, there are times that I feel that way. And every time I do, sometimes I think I'm being selfish because I went out. Right? You ever you watch the news? You know, God, I want out. Come on, Lord, come, come. Because we all know people who don't know Jesus are going to go to hell if we don't get to tell them. Somebody doesn't get to tell them so they can believe. But that's Paul's. Come, Lord, I'm ready. I'm waiting. And listen, a love for the Lord is seen when we are eagerly waiting and looking for Jesus to come again. When we really love the Lord, we are anticipating His return. We're like, "Oh Lord, come! I can't wait." I remember waiting for my grandparents as kids at Christmas time. 
They lived up in Attleboro, Jack, Massachusetts. Uh, I think it was at that time, six or seven hours away by car, and we, they'd come down for Christmas, and my sisters and I'd be looking out the front window. We, we didn't have cell phones and all the rest of it, so we really had no idea. We'd just keep looking and looking and just anticipating. We couldn't wait for them to come, because then they'd get there, and they'd be carrying in all the stuff, right? Woo-hoo! There's my name on that one. We ought to be eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Way more than grandparents at Christmas time. That's what Paul's talking about. But you know why? Because when you're waiting and looking for Jesus, you live differently. You live like, oh man, if Jesus is coming tomorrow, I better get my life where it ought to be. I better get things in order in my walk with God. I, I can't be all messed up spiritually speaking because Oh, man, I'd be embarrassed. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, that's what John says. We, we, we get ready. We look for the return of the Lord so that we're not embarrassed or ashamed before him at his coming. That's our love for God. Listen, you know what that is? It's what we've been saying all along. Paul's wrapping it up, and he's saying this. God's holy people must become what they already are. We've been positionally sanctified, made a child of God. Now we need to live like it. We need to let people see Jesus in everything that we do. God's holy people must become, must live like we are who we say we are. Makes you wonder how many who know and love Jesus are living in this present world without a longing for the return of Jesus because we're holding too tightly to the stuff and the pleasures of this world. That's what Paul's saying. You can't love God. And want the stuff that this world offers so badly that you don't think about, I want Jesus to come. So what's the bottom line? It's love. It's love. Look at verses 23 and 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My Love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul says, I love you, church. And I could almost hear Paul saying, and I know I don't say it enough. Church, I love you. And I know I don't say it enough. And my heart's desire for a heritage is that we do everything in love. That we are addicted to serving God. To reaching those who don't know Jesus. To make disciples of all nations. 
for the glory of God. Paul loved the people. He said some hard stuff. I mean, even right here. But he also loved the church and he loved the Lord. Folks, it's my heart for you. That we follow Jesus. How are we demonstrating our love for the Lord? And for one another. How? We talked about ideas here. That's what Paul is saying. But how are we demonstrating? I asked this question last week. What might happen if we were known in this community for Loving God and loving people. Wow. For people to talk about those people up at Heritage. (laughs) Something's different about them. I asked one of them once. They said, what's what's so different about you? And and they, they answered me this way. They said, we love God. And we love one another. That's what Paul's talking about. What? How are we demonstrating that love for the Lord and one another? Oh, God. We know Jesus is coming again, and oh, Lord, come. But until that happens, Father, use us to love one another and encourage one another and to help each other grow and to mature. And God, help us to love people who don't need Jesus, who, who still yet must believe. Even people who claim that they know Jesus but don't live like it. Oh, God, help them to realize they are under the wrath and the judgment of God and they must believe. And God, use us. Help us to be addicted to serving for the glory of God and the good of your people. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.